0: Hi, I'm Glenn, and I'm Jim. And welcome to the Backstage Show. The Backstage Show.
1: Welcome to our April Fool's Day special. <laughs> nah, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, wait. No, I'm not kidding. April Fool's. Well, it's <laughs> over, so I'll see you next time. Uh, yeah. That was it. We did discuss doing like a two-second show, but uh, we are actually instead going to give you an episode about the theatrical fool. Playing the fool, as it were? Yes, indeed. Playing the fool, which we kind of do every week. Yeah. That's a story. <laughs> and in life, too. <laughs> yes, indeed. So I guess we can start with uh, a a textbook or dictionary definition of the fool. Okay. (laughs) So Webster's Dictionary defines fool in several different ways. The noun, of course, we're talking about, not the verb.
0: (laughs) Could have fooled me.
1: Yes. (laughs) Hey. Uh, It defines it as a person lacking in judgment or prudence. That sounds like like a self-description. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Another definition is a harmlessly deranged person or one lacking in common powers of understanding. Guilty. Another is one who is victimized or made to appear foolish. All the time. So I guess that's a false fool of some sort. And the one that we're most familiar with would be a retainer formerly kept in great households to provide casual entertainment and commonly dressed in motley with cap, bells, and bauble. A jester, if you will. Yeah, basically. And this is like the the fool that when you think of a fool and picture it in your head with the cap, with the little tassels and bells yeah, the that you dangly, see at like Renaissance fairs. Pointy bells, yeah. Yeah, the dangly bits. No, wait, that's different. <laughs> um, but this is probably the, the uh Don't the, need uh, to be a fool out of those. Yeah. This is probably the inspiration for the theatrical fool, which I don't know if it originated with Shakespeare, but I think it's best known in Shakespeare. Codified, as it were popularized yes yes indeed so sometimes in shakespeare plays they actually had characters that were named fool as um, in king lear of for instance yeah king lear Timon of athens there are other times that they're named clown such as in othello and titus andronicus but not like the scary
0: makeup wearing
1: no no not yeah, a circus okay. clown <laughs> <Ugh>. all right <laughs> is there something you want to talk about no not okay. especially. We'll it, it's gonna stay between you and your therapist. <laughs> but most often in Shakespeare, at least, the fools were named. Uh, you've got like Falstaff in the Henry IV plays, Festy in Twelfth Night, Grumio in The Taming of the Shrew, and so forth. Festy. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not actually
0: that familiar with Twelfth Night, so
1: that's just kind of an amusing name to me. That was actually an early play. I was in uh, in that and uh, Forge Theater. I played a small role, and I don't even remember what I played. Okay, but uh, I was in that. Yes. Wow, how about but that! I, I do Community remember theater doing the Shakespeare. It does happen, not infrequently, really. Uh, just haven't uh,
0: really come across it in my own experience very much. Other than, weren't you in Two Gentlemen of Verona?
1: I was not. <laughs> I was in Twelfth Night. I did The Loves Labors Lost and Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay, I could have sworn you were in Two Gentlemen of Verona. No, sir. I did see it though. <laughs> All right then. Didn't you have to yeah. wear a toga and something? That was Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. And it wasn't quite a toga. It was similar. All right. There was a skirt involved (laughs) of some sort. Yes, Glenn and I have
0: both worn skirts on stage at one point or another. Yes. (laughs) Well, my case was more like a dress
1: on a couple occasions.
0: Anyway, that wasn't on (laughs) stage. Anyway.
1: (laughs) Anywho, so yeah. So The Fool in Shakespeare, uh, you, uh, you know, often there for comic relief, but usually one of the smarter characters in the play. Yeah, even though what they sound, uh, what they say on
0: the surface sounds a little crazy or off the wall, there's usually some kind of hidden truth behind it that maybe other characters don't realize.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where the humor comes in, that they're kind of mentally outclassing the other characters, so to speak. You think I'm silly and crazy and sounding stupid, but I'm really smarter than you. Exactly. There's a classic example in Twelfth Night in Act 4, Scene 2, Line 78. I'm taking these from the Riverside Shakespeare. I've done my research this time. That's between Malvolio and the clown character. Sorry, I
0: thought this was like a spec
1: script for Firefly. He had Mal. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, nope. That's short for Malvolio. Okay. So he's basically, Malvolio is calling to the fool, and they go back and forth, and the clown eventually asks him, the clown, the fool, whatever, asks him, Alas, sir, how fell you besides your five wits? And then Malvolio replies, fool, there was never man so notoriously abused. I am as well in my wits, fool, as thou art. But as well, then you are mad indeed if you be no better in your wits than a fool.
0: Ha, you stooped so down on my fool, level, huh? Fooling. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I've, I'm probably not really going to contribute much of intelligence here, but maybe there will be a hidden underlying intelligence that will have me inadvertently be playing a fool. Well,
1: there you go. So the fool just often makes the intelligent people seem less intelligent. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Or puts the uh, the sort of self-absorbed plight of the maybe the main character kind of in context from perspective, perhaps.
1: Yeah. Another good example is in Hamlet, but uh, that's the gravedigger scene, which, I mean, if you're familiar with Hamlet, you'd be familiar with that. That's when they eventually dig up the the skull of Yorick. I've but heard of when, them. Uh, didn't know him well though (laughs) indeed but when he first encounters the gravediggers he has an exchange with one that well hamlet doesn't really let the fool get the better of him so it's a nice little exchange back and forth whose graves this sirrah? mine sir i think it be thine indeed for thou liest in it
0: you lie out on it sir and therefore it is not yours for my
1: part i do not lie in it yet it is mine Thou dost lie in it, to be in it, and say it is thine. Tis for the dead, not for the quick, therefore thou liest. Tis a quick lie, sir, twill away again from me to you. What man dost thou dig it
0: for? For no man, sir. (laughs) What woman, then? For none neither.
1: Who is to be buried in it? One that was a woman, sir, but rest her soul, she's dead. How absolute the knave is! We must speak by the card, or equivocation will undo us. So basically, that's a a little back and forth between Hamlet and the clown, where Hamlet says that it's your grave because you're lying in it, using a pun with the two meanings of lying. (laughs) And then when Hamlet... (laughs) Yes, indeed hilarious. Uh, And then when Hamlet says, whose grave is it? The clown says, no man or no woman, because it's a dead person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, not hilarious by today's standards, but it's very quick-witted, I suppose. Hang on a second. That sound would be Jim slapping his knee. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, that's that. And then this eventually leads, this is all Act 5, Scene 1, and eventually it leads to them digging up the skull, which is an extremely well-known bit where Hamlet holds up the skull that has been dug up. And he asks whose skull it is, and the gravediggers tell him Yorick. Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him, Horatio, a fellow of infinite jest, of most excellent fancy. He hath borne me on his back a thousand times, and now how abhorred in my imagination it is. My gorge rises at it. Here hung those lips that I have kissed I know not how oft. Where be your jibes now, your gambols, your songs, your flashes of merriment, that were wont to set the table on a roar? Not one now to mock your own grinning, quite chop-fallen. This is almost Shakespeare's love letter to the fool as I see it. That's kind of touching and sad. Yes. (laughs) So this was kind of, I guess it was the court jester when Hamlet was a boy.
0: Yeah, that's what I got out of it. Yeah, and he would play with him. I'm no Shakespearean
1: uh, expert, mind you. Yes. And then in As You Like It, Act 2, Scene 7... There is kind of the explicit definition of the fool as one who kind of makes the smart people look foolish, and that's by uh, Jayquees, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing the name. You know it, right? Yeah, he's an R&B artist, right? Yeah, there you go. Jayquees.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a foolish, foolish statement. If that name's not taken, it should be. Yes,
1: it should. So I'll I'll read that, I'm probably not going to do very well with it, but... I'm sure I didn't do very well with the Hamlet speech either. So if I shift we're just genres, that'll week.
0: be my name, stage name. Jay Queez. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the why is as plain as way to parish church. He that a fool doth very wisely hit, doth very foolishly, although he's smart, not to seem senseless, senseless of the bob. If not, the wise man's folly is anatomized even by the squandering glances of the fool. Boy, that's very Shakespearean. <sighs> anatomized. I didn't realize that was a verb. Uh, maybe he verbed the noun. Yeah, whatever verbs your noun. Yeah. <laughs> well, Shakespeare did invent many words, so you never know. <laughs> so that's just kind of basically saying that somebody that a fool makes foolish doth very wisely hit, doth foolishly, so in a foolish manner, though he smart, so he's taking a smart guy and making him seem senseless. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I came well prepared today for this.
1: <laughs> so for those curious, I have a master's degree in English literature. Jim, I don't think does.
0: I have a bachelor's <laughs> in electrical engineering. Yeah, That's about as far away from this uh,
1: study, field of study you can get. <laughs> so while we are both knowledgeable in theater in general, I think I've studied a little more Shakespeare than Jim has. And I did my research <laughs> and went back to my old college notes to come up with some of this stuff. But this is the origin of The Fool. I learned calculus. (laughs) I I failed calculus, so (laughs) what are you going to do? So that's basically the background of The Fool, and this eventually evolves from Shakespeare, and we'll get away from this now because we've tortured you long enough, into the more modern comic relief roles. Yeah, and I'm sure I butchered that. We should get mail from this. (laughs) Email. Email us. Tell me how badly I butchered Shakespeare. Podcast at backstage.link. I could tell you right now if you want. Well, no, you wouldn't know you're an electrical engineer. (laughs) (laughs) Or you could also send us a tweet
0: at the backstage pod. Or better yet, give us a call.
1: 267-225-8869. That number again is 267-225-8869. And from there you can call us or you can even send us a text message. You or can also a find us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com/thebackstagepod. slash Any of those places you can tell me what an idiot I am with Shakespeare. What a fool I am. I'd recommend you use any and all of them. <laughs> there you go. So from Shakespeare we can start to examine those comic relief roles and kind of define what comic relief is.
0: Yeah, I think in more modern or common usage these days, I guess it tends to be someone who brings a little bit, a character who brings more levity to a play that tends to have more serious content.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's also kind of the origin of the the comedic duo where you kind of have a straight man and the comic relief man in a way. Well, okay, you think think of it that way? I mean, I don't know that it's that so much in... On the stage, but when you look at things like you know Abbott and Costello, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, I, I don't. I think that's another branch of the fool.
0: Per, well, yeah, it is certainly a branch of the fool because you totally have that dynamic of the more conventional. Okay, this is what you'd normally think somebody how somebody would behave and act versus somebody who completely flies against those conventions, kind of like the fool character in the Shakespearean examples, but uh, right. in a somewhat different context. I tend to think of the comic relief being more, as I described earlier, kind of bringing a little bit more lightheartedness as a contrast to maybe more overall generally serious subject matter or graver subject matter.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's really quite so much a straight line going from Shakespeare's Fool to a modern comic relief character, but I do think that's where the origins are. Could be. I see more of the connection... You know, because of having the
0: fool in the tragedies, as it were. Right. That what I like described. Like Falstaff and
1: Henry Four and that kind of thing. That
0: I what I described as kind of maybe the more direct extension of it from the Shakespearean that,
1: usage. That makes sense. So shall we go on to discuss our experience playing the fool? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I think we each have had kind of a few
0: previous on stage experiences that fall into this category. Mm-hmm. Shall go I ahead. start? Indeed. All right, well know. The first play in high school that I did, and this is predating my time in community theater, was a play that I think Forge Theater actually did recently called Rehearsal for Murder. And yeah, I think they
1: did that a couple seasons ago.
0: It was a murder mystery, and this will be a kind of a recurring theme, as you'll see, but I played a character who was sort of the more of a com- comic actor who kind of, throughout the play, kind of brought more levity to this, the proceedings. Basically, the whole thing is... The, the main character brings a bunch of people together to supposedly rehearse a new show, but he's really trying mm-hmm. to suss out who killed his lover, who was, you know, leading lady. And, geez, this is actually going to sound familiar again <laughs> from another play I did later on. It's almost the same plot. <laughs> anyway, so my character was sort of the, kind of bringing the lightheartedness to the scenes. However, a little bit of a spoiler alert. So if you don't want to be spoiled by this, don't listen for the next 20 seconds or so. My character, despite being kind of portrayed as the lighthearted one, this kind of uh, played into the setup of him being the one who did it, which is what the climax kind of builds up to portraying, except that it's a misdirection. So he's almost a
1: tricky fool, but in the end, just a fool.
0: (laughs) In a manner of speaking, yes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So was that your only comic relief experience? No, I have a few others.
0: Also in high school, I mentioned before that I'd played eugene in brighton beach memoirs and Mm -hmm. in some respects there are certain aspects to his character that are kind of fool like i mean he's sort of presented as the narrator of the piece but as i think i mentioned before he's probably not really the central character he's just the one who's observing everything else that's going on in his family through his eyes and his words and in many respects it kind of makes his personal struggles or the the things he's dealing with like uh uh his you know the, the his mother nagging him when he's trying to practice catch out in the yard and uh this that the other thing and having to do all the chores because of his you know uh cousin who has health issues et cetera et cetera those are kind of trivial struggles that he has to deal with compared to what his family members are going through, like losing their jobs, standing up for their principals, trying to you know go out on their own or be independent or be dependent or mooching or whatever so I think in some respects, what he goes through, his side of the story kind of plays fool-like in the overall context of the family drama. Mm -hmm. In college, I played, we did like a a production of Everyman Outdoors, and I played Kindred as sort of like this redneck guy eating fried chicken out of a a (laughs) cup, and he and Cousin, I think was the other character, was kind of dressed up like the Marlboro Man, were sort of supposedly the, the friends of Everyman who end up kind of turning their back on him in a way or Mm -hmm. not really being there when he needed them. And I suppose it kind of helped enlighten him a little bit. Probably is a little bit more of a stretch as far as a full role. It's kind of just more, it was played more ridiculously and absurdly, but it kind of still had like an important point to make as far as the struggle of every man. Okay. Uh, What else? Well, going back in the community theater, when I started getting involved with that, a character I played in a play called Postmortem was very similar to the Rehearsal for Murder character that I played in that kind of portrayed as the more boisterous and kind of fun-loving type of character, a little sillier than the others. But again, this is kind of a murder mystery, and in this case it's uh, the uh, person William Gillette, famous, actually real person, famous Sherlock Holmes portrayer on stage. But same scenario as Rehearsal for Murder, bringing a bunch of people together except not really to write to rehearse a play so much, but just to bring a bunch of people together to find out who killed his lover. Mm-hmm. And again, my character is set up as the in the climax as the guy who actually did it. But okay. it's another decoy situation. Oh, I forgot to put spoiler alert on that one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we can always put that in an editing. We'll fix it in post. Yeah,
0: but it's another decoy <laughs> situation in that my character is, again, the red herring, even though he's set up to be the supposed actual perpetrator. Okay. And then finally probably my most recent experience that touches on playing the fool was in God's favorite, another Neil Simon play where I Mm -hmm. played the eldest son, David, who, while there, his siblings were kind of portrayed as like more dimwitted. He was sort of like the devil may care, happy go lucky character who kind of just went with the flow, but he kind of seemed like he was being ridiculous about it. Like, how can you just be so flippant about this when we're losing everything we have? And, uh, we don't even have heat in the house and stuff like that. But I think in that respect, he's kind of more, has a bit more of a wise wise attitude about it, or it, maybe that kind of plays off to the, the main character, his father, as far as maybe perhaps teaching him some lessons about what's really important.
1: Okay. That might be a bit of a stretch, but... Oh, well, well, I mean, I think a lot of these, it, it's hard to get a very clear, like, this is comic relief situation. Because right. I I, 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 most, I don't know, m- m- most plays, dramas particularly, I mean, try to throw in a little bit of comedy, but to like give it all to one single character just kind of takes the realism out of it. So there's usually at least a little bit of humor spread across some characters. Yeah. Even though, so I mean, you could play comic relief, but you're probably not the sole comic relief. I yeah. I mean, even in Shakespeare, they would do multiple, multiple fools in a single production.
0: Yeah. That probably adds a little bit more realism, as you said.
1: Yeah, I so, think, you know, probably my first experience at, at Comic Relief was very similar to yours in in a Murder Mystery. When, when I did uh, Musical Comedy Murders of 1940, I played a, a character called Patrick O'Reilly. Patrick O'Reilly! Patrick O'Reilly, um, who is actually not Irish, but he's pretending to be Irish. <laughs> he's uh, German, he's a Nazi who pretends to be Irish for most of the play, and then briefly pretends to be Italian, and then and it's a whole weird thing, but he's kind of like, you know, pulling one over on people and a little more knowledgeable than others and definitely a comedic role, but I mean there's somebody in there that's basically a stand-up comic who keeps kind of, you know, he'll tell a joke and go. You know, that kind of thing. So that's like, you know, that was he's your more role? the main character. Patrick O'Reilly is more of a subsidiary character, I guess. And again, is kind of the red herring where you think he's the murderer and it turns out he's not retroactive spoiler alert um <laughs> so yeah that was kind of my first experience and then it's and then it gets really vague because I, I did breaking legs which is it's already a comedy so it's hard to say like i played a character called tino de felice who's the he's like the quiet muscle which you know it's amusing having me playing that role in the first place because muscular i am not He wore a muscle suit <laughs> No, I just, I was tall enough. I just tried to look intimidating. But yeah, oh, while that character's definitely funny and they played that up, I mean, it's a comedy. So can you really have comic relief in a comedy? It's a comedy about the mafia, but it's still a comedy. It's got its serious moments, but yeah, it's a it's comedy. Yeah,
0: it's a bit more spread out. So having one particular role like yours be the relief is not really mm-hmm. applicable so much.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then it's also like I look at uh, Lend Me a Tenor. Another comedy. I mean, that's basically a farce. I definitely did not play the comic relief in that. But can you look at Max, who's the main character in that, and is he playing the fool in that? Because he's kind of like a fish out of water character, where he wants to be an opera singer but is kind of bumbling and ends up taking place of the uh, the opera singer as the character that I played in the end. I mean, that's arguably the fool character in that one. But it's just kind of it's kind of hard to say with that because again. In a comedy, can you have a fool in a comedy? It's a good question. Yeah. The one play where I can look and, and see maybe a little bit more distinctly that I'm comic relief is I did a show called Fat Pig. It's a lesser known show. It deals, as you might expect, with weight issues. And it's basically a large woman and there's a guy working in an office who maybe he's falling in love with her maybe not and he's dating her and i play a character called carter who basically keeps giving this guy a really hard time because he's dating an overweight woman mm-hmm. so this character was very much unlikable i hated some of the things i had to say because he was just nasty but a lot of the stuff he said was sarcastic and kind of funny at the same time you're like laughing in spite of yourself i'm horrible Can that people be comic <laughs> relief what's that i'm horrible people <laughs> yeah but can that be comic relief? Can a horrible character be comic relief? Perhaps that's an interesting way to put it because it's kind of like cringe comedy in a way. In yeah. That situation. But I mean, I guess you don't really have to be likable to be funny. No, that's true. I, I mean, mean, it can help
0: in a lot of situations because there's a certain charm that kind of makes more uh, makes
1: it a little bit more appealing,
0: I guess, to people. But
1: mm-hmm. not necessarily all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely an interesting uh, show and an interesting character to play. I, I didn't really, like I said, it was really hard to say some of the things that this character said. I, and I don't really remember what any of them were, but <laughs> trying to block it, them it, out he, of he your was mind. a nasty guy.
0: Right. I was going to say, I, I was going to say a moment. Sometimes characters that are kind of likable because they're not likable in a weird way. Mm-hmm. I mean, like they can be, they can come across as mean or rude, but by the same token, they could have. How, how am I? How do I want to put this exactly? It, if they're just absolutely non redeeming and mean spirited, then they're probably not going to work as a comic relief, or just going to be a complete turn off. But if uh-huh. I guess if there's some element to that, there are layers to it, or maybe it's just on the point of whoever's playing the role, where you know
1: that that's not really. Yeah. And I mean, I, I probably had a little bit of that with it, but but the character did have one scene where you kind of get a glimpse inside why he has this problem because his mother was overweight right? and he dealt with that as a kid and got really upset over it. So he's kind of got one scene where he gets a little bit vulnerable. Kind of humanizes gets, it a little bit. Yeah. And so maybe that is what makes it more acceptable to to hate him, but kind of love to hate him, that kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of a... Right, a somewhat redeeming quality or an under kind of an explanation or a yeah. And then the other thing I was looking at when I was like kind of going through my old shows was Dracula. And I'm kind of one, there. there was definitely a, so that's a melodrama. And there's always I've found I've directed a few melodramas and there's a fine line between melodrama and comedy. Because there's always just this uncomfortable because it's so heightened that you almost want to laugh at it sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah, so any especially melodrama if it isn't played very well. <laughs> well, yeah. Any but any melodrama that's going to be successful has to have some comic relief in it. Yeah. And, and I kind it of, of looked at line. Dracula and and I started wondering: Is there any specific comic relief character? And I kept kind of falling on Renfield, but I don't really know. I mean. The the particular version of Dracula that I directed, which was written by Stephen Dietz, Dracula is basically uh, a a subsidiary character. The main character I I feel is Renfield hmm. in that play, but is he also the fool in a way? Because he knows stuff that other people don't know, and he has some kind of funny moments. And he's eccentric, and nobody really takes him seriously. Yeah. It's just an interesting thought that I had. I don't really have an answer for it, and I don't know if anybody else out there might know this play and have some thoughts on it.
0: I, I, think, I think there's some validity to the idea that it's maybe sort of a, a, a riff on the f- full concept, but it kind yeah. of sort of serves a similar function in a weird way in that, you know, in, through his ramblings, he kind of understands better what's happening than many of the other characters do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think it leans more towards him being, you know, insane. <laughs> yeah, just maybe not crazy, so much th- rather than a fool. Maybe so
0: much, you know, wise and insightful, but just more in tune with what's happening because of his insanity.
1: Yeah, and that's pretty much all I had going through my stuff. Yeah, as far yeah. as my experiences go.
0: Yeah, it's about like I said earlier, that was really about all I came up with from just from me acting. I mean, I think I've I've gone back and forth. I think when I have been on stage, kind of between maybe occasionally playing these more kind of goofy, eccentric characters, mm-hmm. and then the opposite opposite end of the spectrum where I've played
1: more of the, the, the straight man roles. Yeah, I, I seem to find myself playing the straight man more often than the comic relief, which surprises me because I am kind of comedy-oriented. I don't really know how to put that, but I, I feel like I would be able to get a, a handle on the humor aspects, but I don't know if other people just don't see that in me or just the fact that I—I I, I don't know. I—it's just—it's interesting, but I think I've played the straight man more often than the comic relief.
0: Oh, uh, I think you have to have as much comic instinct to do that as you do to play the, yeah, the, the screwball character.
1: I suppose that's true. I mean, yeah, there's both sides of the
0: coin. It's a somewhat different skill set, but I think the innate feel for comedy is equally applicable to both.
1: Yeah, yeah, like I'm saying, it's both sides of the uh, two sides of the same coin. Yep. Yeah. So I did leave one definition off the list because I kind of wanted to close with that one. And and the final Webster's definition of fool is one with a marked propensity or talent for a certain activity. So in a way, we're all fools. It's an acting fool or a directing fool if you're involved with community theater. Or we're certainly podcasting fools. (laughs) But definitely not dancing fools. No, no, I don't think either one of us is a dancing fool. I'd look look like a fool if I were dancing, probably. We'll see. There you go. You are a dancing fool, then. <laughs> <laughs> a different kind. Yes. So that's pretty much all we have on the fool. I'm sure we left plenty out. And the audience collectively sighs. <laughs> <laughs> if they've stuck with us for this long. <laughs> hey, it's hard to come up with a special episode for April Fool's Day. I mean, come on. Be happy. We did what we could. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I could have added a lot of <laughs> technical gaffes. Oh, wait, that happened. Oh, yeah. That's Maybe we should right. just well, play it we have... unedited. Oh my God. I I think we'd be here for like an hour. Yeah. Because we were, well, we were here for an hour, but we don't want to keep everybody else for an hour. So we'll let you go until next week. Oh, thank God. I don't know what we have (laughs) planned. We've got a lot of stuff in the queue. We're trying to get some interviews together. But as of now, there is nothing on the agenda. It's a mystery for next week. We're going to talk about mysteries? Well, we could do that. A special on mysteries? Ooh. (laughs) Perhaps we'll add that to the list. If you'd like to hear that, that,
0: 10 minutes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> if you'd like to hear something on mysteries or whatever, or you want to just give us a call and leave us a 30-minute voicemail so we don't have to do anything for a week, you can give us a call at 267-225-8869. Or you can also contact us on Facebook at facebook.com
0: slash pod, all one word,
1: or Twitter or at go- the Backstage pod again, all one word. Or you can give us an email always at podcast at backstage.link. Email, how quaint. Yes. Can we do a special on spiking the set? On spiking the set? (laughs) So next week, join us on our special on spiking the set. (laughs) We're emails for better ideas
0: because clearly we're not coming up (laughs) with good ones anymore.
1: Yes, if you don't send us anything better, next week we'll be discussing glow tape for three minutes. (laughs) So until then... I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And we'll see you backstage. Bye bye. Hi. I'm Glenn. And I'm
0: Am. No! Crap!
1: I messed it up. (laughs) Wait, let me try again.
0: (laughs) And I'm Am.
1: (laughs) Nice to meet you, Am. Hi. I'm. You gotta gotta be ready. Ready? Uh, Sorry, I'm. Hi, yeah. I'm. <laughs> One more
0: time. Okay. Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Am. Oh, damn it! <laughs> you did it again. It <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna take about ten takes.
1: I can't believe you did that again. It's the Backstage Show with Glenn and Am. <laughs> hi. <laughs> Sorry, hang on. Okay. <laughs> hi, I'm. <laughs> That's a, Hi, hi, hi. I'm hot. <laughs> We're never going to pull this off.
0: I just restarted because I had 20 minutes of nonsense.
1: <laughs> can never have too much nonsense. A little nonsense now and then is relished by the wisest men.
0: I'm getting a warning that says poor connection.
1: Uh, well, it's your connection it just went and away. it's not me. Whoops. Wow, what did I do? What did you do, what did Ray? Do? What did I do? What the... What the heck is going on here? <laughs> okay, like I knew him, Horatio. <laughs> 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 <inaudible> Moving along. This is going so smoothly. Okay, let's do this. <inaudible> I didn't want to read the whole thing, and I'm realizing the beginning part. Ah! Well, that's definitely going to be edited out.
0: My character kind of ended up being the red herring towards the... Leading up to the climax, you're frozen. Can you hear me still? Oh, yeah, I can still hear you. I can see
1: that I'm frozen now.
0: Yeah, your image is frozen. Am I still moving?
1: (laughs) I don't know what's going on now. Hold on.
0: (laughs) Looks like you just saw, like, a car accident or something, or babies juggling, I don't know. (laughs) Go ahead. The climax... Stop it, Glenn. <laughs> Sorry. Stop playing the fool. <laughs> what I'm
1: here for. <laughs> Gorge. <laughs> Gorge.
0: Herring. God, now you else, froze. I don't know if you can hear me, but I can't even hear you now. Is that my character's
1: made... Oh, work. God. Connection lost. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Just effing great. Rassing, frassing, hooting, tooting, rassing, fringing,
0: bring, ring, 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 are you there? Hi there. What the heck happened? I don't know. Connection was lost. Okay, you're not frozen, right? Okay. All right. <laughs> I was just checking. I'm listening intently. Okay. <laughs> kind of his personal struggles he's going through are relatively trivial and banal compared to We stop it. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 uh, purposely freezing in midair holding up his glass of scotch while I'm telling my story. Well, you'll have to do a lot of editing editing because of all the technical gaffes.
1: One with a marked prosperity or talent for a certain activity. You sure that's not propensity? Did I say prosperity? That's it is propensity. what you said, yes. What? What is happening? <laughs> I have no idea how that is going to work. Oh, what a train wreck. <laughs> yeah, this pretty much was a train wreck, wasn't it? a piece. And I realized uh I, today that I actually messed up the line. The line in fact is go fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> oh,
0: okay, like an anchor man. Well, yeah, well
1: that's where I, I forgot.